Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latina and Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. My guests today are Ellie Watson and Kike Aviles. Today, we will be talking about the film La Mampleza, an uprising remembered, which tells the story of the Mount Pleasant neighborhood in Washington, D.C., and the May 5th, 1991 protest against the police shooting of Daniel Gomez, a young man from El Salvador. Bienvenida, bienvenido a este episodio, Eli Iquique. Thanks so much. So happy to be here. Hey, gracias por tenernos. Uh, can you please uh, introduce yourselves and tell us about your connection with the Mount Pleasant neighborhood in this film? Eli, why don't you go first? Okay. Um, so I grew up in Mount Pleasant. I... Um, have so many memories of a neighborhood that was, you know, really raised me, you know, my, my mom's an artist and, you know, the house I grew up in felt more like a group house than anything else. And, you know, we, we grew up on the, on the, really on the street, you know, so just memories of hanging out at, you know, block parties. There was always a Latino festival of, you know, knowing the neighbors and people just looking out for one another. And, um, I'll never forget I mean, May 5th, 1991, um, because I heard the shot and walked up the street. It was a block from my house. And um, it was a moment that, you know, it was just like my whole sense of reality was sort of shaken because um, this was a neighborhood that um, to me was just like a, like, just a place I cherished and always felt like everyone was taking care of each other. And then, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, seeing Gomez being taken away in the ambulance and like this sense of anger and frustration. Um, and then the next day having this community being under attack from the police by tear gas. And it just, as a nine-year-old didn't make sense, you know, it's like, wait one second, like the police, just shot someone and now we're under attack and it was a memory that always stuck with me um and so I've known Kike since I was a teenager you know he was a mentor of mine I was part of a group called Spoken Resistance um which gave space for young people to share their mind and speak truth to power and I think you know when the we were coming up on the 30th anniversary of the uprisings um it just felt like you know, walking these streets that have changed so much, um, this neighborhood that we grew up in, and just realizing how few people knew of this story. Um, and that made me really mad. And so I connected with Kike, and then I kind of the, the process of making this film began. Yeah, my, I'm Kike Aviles, and I'm a poet and uh, an actor and and a troublemaker. Huh? Um, and my life is kind of similar to, to Ellie. You know, I grew up in Mount Pleasant, but I was introduced to Mount Pleasant Street um, my second week here in 1980. I came here from El Salvador uh, when I was 15, 15 years old, 1980. 
Um, so my second week on, weekend here, we had to go and, and do our laundry. And I've been hearing the word my pleasure, la my pleasure, la my pleasure, la my pleasure in my house for the whole first week. So on that Sunday, I found out what La Man Pleasant was. And it's just, it's just short street. It's about probably eight or nine blocks. Um, and it is, uh, I think, the only place in Washington, D.C. Uh, well, I know it is uh, the only place in Washington, D.C. where people still behave as if they live in a little town, you know. Everyone knows each other. Um, it's a, you know, a lot of old timers, even people like me that don't, don't live there anymore. You know, I spent at least two or three days a week, you know, on, the, on that street doing, you know, projects and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I, I was young, you know, it's 1991. So I was probably, you know, what, 15, 20, I was like 22. And I was a staff member at the Latin, Latin, Latin American Youth Center. And a lot of the kids that participated in the riot were our clients at the Latin American Youth Center. And I knew most of them. Um, so, you know, it was two nights of, of continuous battle with the police. I mean, these were street, you know, fights with bricks and uh, tear gas and I mean you, you know rocks bottles Molotov cocktails um, yeah a lot of police cars and fatty wagons were burned um, you know thankfully the guy that was shot survived and no police officer was killed um, even though a lot of police officers got got injured because it, it was it was it was a real fight. You know, so horses, a helicopter, police in riot gear. I mean, you name it. They threw everything at us and, and we fought back. And, um, you know, like Randall says in the film, he says, you know, that a lot of people have had, had, you know, families in apartments and, and there are a lot of people had babies, you know, and the tear gas was coming into the apartments and, and a lot of people, left their apartment, apartments because they couldn't stand the tear gas. So there were more people on the street. Um, so the second night, you know, it really intensified and it moved towards other neighborhoods, you know, and the, the adjacent neighborhoods, where, which were primarily black, you know, but it was a moment, I think, when, when, when people said enough is enough, no, because... The police have been harassing and, and treating people in, 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 in such a way that um, people were just sick and tired of the whole situation. And this was one shooting of this guy is what, you know, what's kind of the spark of this thing. And a lot of people don't make this extinction, but eh, the... The riots happened at Cinco de Mayo, May 5th of 1991. It was in March of that year uh, that Rodney King had been, you know, being beaten to a pulp by cops. 
And this was the first time that Americans had seen uh, such a thing because of the helicopter. You know, there was, there was a news helicopter that captured that image. And I think it's the first time that all of America and the world saw this beating of this black man. And, and I think that that was very fresh in, in everybody's mind. Um, and then you had all these other things, you know, that we had uh, Washington, D.C. is um, a Salvadorian city, you know? I mean, it is, we are the majority of the Latinos in the whole metropolitan, metropolitan area. We're the only region in the United States where the majority of, of Latinos are Salvadorian. And it's kind of ironic because we, we fled the civil war that exploded in 1980. 1991, the riots happened. And, you know, that riot brought back a lot of kind of those feelings and fears that you feel in your skin when you know that the authorities are about to kick your ass, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was it was very, very, very heavy um, two days. It's, when we, you, thank you for mentioning the, you know, I guess history of the Salvadoran community in this particular town and the reason why you know, there was um, a large number of Salvadoran coming to the U.S. in the first place. Uh, when we, because usually when we think about Latinx immigrants, we typically think of the Mexican communities across the Southwest and the Puerto Rican and Cuban communities in the North and Southeast of the U.S. But really there is a significant number of Central Americans that have um been establishing themselves in their in this country and in this neighborhood in particular in in, in DC. Um, tell me about uh, you know how many I guess the significance of this event right on May 5th um, in terms of because I'm I'm thinking right uh, of this notion or, or or this idea that Salvadorans came came fleeing the war or you know uh, uh, violence and then they're here and they're experiencing something similar and I'm and I'm wondering you know of that just that trauma you know that follows them uh from you know from the from their country to a neighborhood that is primarily Salvadoran and that seems to, to have, you know, a similar path, I guess, where, where they're not safe with, where they do not feel safe. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the community and, and, Maybe the aftermath of this, like how did people react? What what was going on? You know, this like suddenly they're not safe anymore, right? Suddenly they're they're thinking, oh, well, this is not very different than what we were experiencing back in our country. I'll talk I'll talk a little bit about that and then Ellie, you should you should you should add on. Um yeah, you know, it's ironic, no, that 
here, here we are, you know, in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. Um, you know, we're the only part of the country that has no representation in Congress. Our vote does not count, you know. And that's why our, our, you know, plates on our cards say taxation without representation. So uh, it's ironic, you know, that the decisions to, to mess with our lives uh, were, being, were being made here, you know. So Afghanistan in 79, the Soviet Union invades Afghanistan in 79. That same year, in 79, the Sandinistas come to power in Nicaragua. 1980, Ronald Reagan comes into office, and the United States, you know, foreign policy towards Latin America was one where they were not going to permit. And that was something that Reagan said very openly. He, you know, said it openly in a statement. He said, there's not going to be another Nicaragua in, in Central America. The U.S. will not allow that. So the, the war really intensified and in 1980, it exploded. It became a complete national civil war in El Salvador, you know? So the people armed themselves. So they, they were guerrilla groups that created a coalition, the FMLN. And, and then the United States also sent money and created this um, kind of counter-revolutionary units uh, to which were called the, the Contras, you know, to defeat the Sandinistas, to get the Sandinistas out of power. So when the riots happened, you, on, you not only had Salvadorians, um, but you had Nicaraguans, you had Guatemalans, you had Hondurans, you had Chileans who had lived through Pinochet. You had Argentinians, you know, you had Brazilians, you had, you know, I mean, all of Latin America through all, all the whole the whole period, no? It was a period of over 50 years of military dictatorships. So it was not just a Salvadorian riot, you know? It, it was, I think it, 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 it was a... a a moment when all of Latin Americans that lived in Washington, D.C., all of a sudden felt, you know, the presence of, and the noise of you know, the helicopters, you know, that that was big and on our head, no? Because we related that to, always oh, not to soldiers. And, 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 and then the weapons, you know, and the tear gas and the gear and, and, uh, and the shields, you know, and the batons, and, and the guns, and, and uh, you know, the constant shooting of um, the tear gas. Um, so it, 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 was, it was really intense in a way because a lot of those issues were still not, not defined. And, you know, it wasn't until the, next, the following year in 1992 that the government of El Salvador uh, and the guerrillas signed the peace accords and the guerrillas became a political party. Um, so in that sense, you know, I think it was, it, it was the, the riots themselves were, were, were a moment where, <laughs> I hate to say this, that we got to relive uh, 
a kind of a Latin American moment in the United States. And I'll just add on a little bit about the aftermath piece in terms of the organizing, because, um, you know, in the film, we go into the, you know, like, as Kike said, it was the spark. Um, and I think it was even like, you know, was it the next day that, you know, all the community leaders started organizing and Kike's brother, Pedro Aviles, um, emerged as the, the leader in that moment. He grew up in Mount Pleasant, Salvadoran, um, and they formed the Latino Civil Rights Task Force. And, you know, after those three days of protests, they had, you know, meeting after meeting and, and the press was in the neighborhood and people were asked, you know, what are the needs? Like, what are beyond... And because it was beyond just being over-policed, it was lack of housing, it was lack of bilingual education, it was, you know, there were so many ways that this, this community that, that arrived here because of like U.S. intervention, and yet, and yet they were here and the resources weren't there to serve them. Um, so I think, you know, through organizing and meetings and, you know, um, the Human Rights Commission came, they, they created a document um, and presented it to the city. And by like sector by sector, they went through demands um, so that the Latino community could really be seen and heard. Um, and I think, you know, on the one hand, I think that did lead to um, like nonprofits getting more money and resources to serve the Latino community. On the other hand, you know, um, you know, the city went broke and a lot of those promises were only sort of half met often. And then the deeper issue of the systemic racism and oppression, you know, um, wasn't dealt with. As you know, we in the film, we make the connection, you know, we fast forward and here we are, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. and it's the same racism and oppression. And it's that same helicopter that was in a Salvador that was on the streets in 91 that was like over the White House that day when we were getting tear gassed again, you know? So I think that is where the, you know, we, the film is about making those connections as well. Right. Uh, we often talk about, um, you know, race relations and police brutality. Um, when we talk about that, we often focus on the experiences of Black men, but it, with this film and what Kike mentioned earlier, um, you know, the connection with Rodney King and probably the attention that that took, right? The focus of that particular moment, right, in a way made this Washington, D.C. neighborhood not have, you know, enough attention, you know, on the same year. Um, so, but we know that the, sadly, right, these two communities, Black and Brown communities, very, have very similar experiences uh, in terms of, um, you know, their relationship with, with police. Um, so what are, so I, I, I really like the, you know, what the film is doing and making us think about, you know, how this mm, over-policing or targeting certain communities throughout the decades, right, has, there are some similarities, there are some, you know, structural, structural inequalities that are being um, you know, uh, highlighted and, and connection to this, you know, three different events in history and how in some ways we, 
things have not changed, right? In, in, in some ways. Um, so what else do you hope to show the viewers? Like what conversations or actions do you want the audience um, you know, to participate in? What, what is it that you, that, that you want them to, to take away? I mean, obviously there's making this awareness, right, of how communities are impacted and maybe those conversations about, you know, how U.S. international policy or relations with Central America, you know, are a result of you know, immigrants here and perhaps even this fear of certain communities. I don't know. What what would you like to say about that? Really? So, wow. You know, um, I think for me, like for this film, the takeaway, there's like two parts. Um, Kike shares at the beginning of the film the role of artists, you know, as a, as there's a responsibility of artists to remember. Um, and I think um, I think this film is part of that resistance against forgetting. Um, I think as I was walking those streets of Mount Pleasant and being mad at how few people knew this history. Um, there's a lot of layers to that because it, it brings up the question of whose history gets told and, and what's the repercussions when these stories aren't passed down. And as the neighborhood has gentrified and people are still coming back and claiming it has, as home. And yet like, what if the, when those people's, when those people die, like we, like this story is important and we have to remember it um, because this history this history matters um, and it matters because it it can inspire young people and all people to recognize that there are ways that as a community, we can still rally together to fight for what's right. Um, and, and I think too, I think for a lot of young people who are seeing this film, whose parents came from El Salvador and yet this history was not shared because because trauma, um, because trauma is heavy. And I think the, there's a silence there. Um, and yet now watching this film, our, our, we have another producer, Cindy Centeno, and, you know, she didn't know about this history. And, and now she is talking to her parents and there are young people who are for the first time having this, this conversation with why their parents came here. Um, so, and then I think, so that's the remembering. And then, you know, it's the connection. I think artists also make connections. You know, we start the film with Kike, you know, he's making a collage. He's tearing the pieces apart of the police and turning them upside down. And, and, you know, we do that with the editing and we do that because I think sometimes this violence gets normalized and we don't even see it. You know, it just becomes normal. Like we have, there's a whole sequence in the film where these things are happening every day that you don't question it. And, you know, Sammy Miranda talks about it's like these daily events that we don't recognize because they don't they aren't seen as spectacular. And I think, you know, the role of the artist is also to make those connections to show that, you know, what happened that day is not a singular event. Like it is connected to why Kike had to flee his country. You know, it's connected to why we're still on the streets because people are continuing to be murdered by the police. And so it's like when you connect the dots, then you see the story. And that's how that's just like one step in this movement to dismantle it. Yeah, and it's very complicated because, you know, um, 
police officers are human beings, just like everybody else, you know? They, they choose to, to join the police force for one reason or another. And I do not believe that every cop, you know, it's a, it, it's a bad person, you know? I believe that, that there are cops that, I mean, I, I've, I've developed very close relationships with, with cops, you know? Uh, as friends uh, or as people who patrol, you know, my neighborhood or people who used to patrol Mount Pleasant. And then there's the people that let the thing go to their head, you know, the power that they're given you know, to mess with people. Um, move on. Can't be here. You can't gather here. Can't be doing that. Come on, y'all. Y'all got to move. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, and and I think it's very difficult when you pit um, uh, people against one another that don't know nothing about one another. One of the things, one of the, the biggest shocks in, in, in my arrival here was that I was coming to Washington, D.C. I was going to America. I was going to the United States. I was going to be in amongst big skyscrapers, big cars, white people, blondes, you know, all this, you know, you know, shiny stuff that that I seen in the movies. And none of that was true. You know, I came to DC and I came to Chocolate City. That's what DC was called back then. It was 70% black. I had no idea that there were black people in Washington, D.C. I had no notion about slavery. I did not know who Martin Luther King was. I did not know anything about lynching. I did not know any, any, anything about black people. Black people did not even know what El Salvador was. <laughs> And then, they, you know, we came by the thousands, especially young people. And they just threw us into the busy public schools. And black people were like, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know, and, 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 and so it, 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 it really was. A, uh, uh, and look, look at it. I look, look at it now, you know, 40, 40 plus years later. Mm -hmm. Now you see these caravans, you know. I mean, history repeating itself. Mm -hmm. Children being taken away from their parents, you know. Children with bleeding feet walking for miles, you know, from Honduras, from El Salvador. The same, 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 same people. So, you know, it's, and it's kind of like this this, this exodus that, that does not uh, end because the suffering, the poverty, you know, the crime, the, 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 the lack of jobs, the, you know. I mean, and, and believe me, and we are poor countries, but Mexico, for example, Mexico is the rich country. Mm. Mexico has anything and everything it could, any, what it needs to feed itself and then feed others. You know, it has oil, it has, you know, all kinds of minerals, it has, 
I mean, Mexico is a big, rich country in terms of, of the natural resources that it has. Right. You know, there should be no reason for Mexicans to be coming to the United States to work for, you know, you know, picking, you know, onions and tomatoes. You know, what, 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 what we do, no? And, and I think that, that, that that's part of, part of the problem, too, is that, is that when you say the, the word immigrant, that's the first thing that comes into people's minds, Mexicans. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, but no, immigrants are, you know, I mean, look, look at Europe, no, look, 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 look at what's happening. I mean, right now in, in, in Ukraine, I mean, you know, what, you know, like five million people are already left, you know, mm -hmm. because of a war. So this is, this, you know, the situations that are created uh, on behalf of others, you know, because there are, I don't know, so a sense of, of greed, a sense of power, a sense of, you know, complete disregard for human for humanity, you know. And what are we? What are we to do? You know. I mean, so our job, like like Ellie said, you know, is to remain to be the truth tellers. You know, right? Uh, I think Ellie mentioned uh, on our previous conversation as artists as memory keepers. Was it? Is that what you mentioned, Ellie? Is that what you said? I wanted <laughs> to make mm -hmm. sure that I got that right. Um, and, those, and the film does include many artists and activists from, from this neighborhood, which is a very unique way, you know, of telling the story of the community. And because it's both storytelling and reflection, you're inviting, you know, the people to think about these events and, and how they may affect us or how we are part of that story as well. So talk to us about these decisions or the decision that you, you made to include these voices as part of telling the story and then the way that they, you know, come into the film, uh, sometimes performing, you know, some of their work, um, which, which I find very, very powerful. Yeah, I can start. Um, you know, Again, there's multiple reasons for this, you know, on a really simple level, I think poetry and music is entertaining and it draws you in. And, you know, film is really about connecting hearts and feeling, you know, so you, I think, you know, the documentaries that put me to sleep are the ones where it's just like interview after interview and fact after fact. And, oh my gosh, I just want to be brought in and feel something. And I think that, music musicians poets like that's what they do that's their job you know so um that was on like a simple level you know but on a deeper level we didn't include it in the film but Lilo the first time I met him and I asked him the question like you know share your memory when you first came to La Manpleza and he talks about you know getting on the 42 bus you know, getting, you know, getting off at the Lamont Park and, you know, and it was the first time that he met other Latinos from different parts of Latin America. So Cubanos and, you know, folks from, you know, Nicaragua. And, and I think he shared that the music was the way that people started um, connecting, you know, and I think, Um, it also happened, you know, like in the park, it was a way of, of creating community and, and claiming public spaces. And I think the, you know, 
I, as I mentioned, you know, the Latino festival is a huge memory of mine. And every person I talked to about their favorite memories of, of the neighborhood was that festival. And I think a lot of that is just like connecting and celebrating over music. Um, and, you know, part of the film is really, you know, we focus on how Mount Pleasant became home for people, um, a home, you know, and a lot of that was the bodegas and, and a lot of that was also the music. Um, so I think that was essential to, to also share and like have the film, the form of the film also have that feeling. Like, so when you see Kike and Milo in the middle of the street playing, um, you have that sense of like, yeah, they, and the first time I met Kike, he was out on the street performing. I mean, I think it, we didn't just decide to push the poets out on the street for the shot. I think it's actually where the art is happening. It's like on the street. Um, you know, I think. And another cut too, Kike talks about how it's like the like poets um, and street artists are like the count, the town caller, you know, it's like speaking that truth to, to anyone and everyone. Um, and then lastly, I think it's that piece of how, you know, what I shared, but I grew up really believing and my mentors like Kike and um, our other mentor, Rebecca Rice, it's like the artists were what I saw was like this essential part of resistance and speaking truth to power, you know? And I think because the film is about this uprising um, mm-hmm. that took place, you know, I think having that element, that thread where you're feeling the poetry and the music um, kind of distill the message um, and kind of get at the core of what people were rising up against um and I think through doing that I think then it's like you're not just like fighting the fight and knocking people down like you're pulling people um into the movement as well and I think that's an essential part of of organizing you know it just came to my mind that importance of or the the juxtaposition of protests right being out on the street and claiming you know or or um pushing uh, for justice and you know and 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 then the art is also coming to the street in in a different way maybe perhaps a little more peaceful but also the impact of that right of coming um and and sharing uh their work uh, uh perhaps like in the film grounded on their understanding of social justice as well, right? And, and then sort of storytelling, combining that. Uh, so Kike, you as producer, but also, you know, as part of this film, uh, as an artist in this film, tell me about this, uh, you know, this way of telling the story of La Mamplesa. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny um, that uh, it, like, it feels like I'm going to film school um, because we're making a, we, a, a par, we, Ellie and I were making two films at the same time. So there's a film that we've been working on. It's called 40 Years and Still Running. And it's the story of Salvadorans in Washington, D.C. You know, and Ellie at the same time had started working on her film about this particular event, you know, Ours is a little bit more complicated because we're trying to tell the story of 40 years of Salvadorians in D.C. through the voices of artists. So Salvadorian and Salvadorian-American 
dancers, poets, um, musicians, painters, uh, and also, you know, including the the the, the voice of, of the common folk, you know, the construction workers, the the people that you know cook for a living, you know, the the street vendors, um, and it's it, it's been. I'm a writer, you know. I'm a poet, but but you know, my 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 thing all my life has been uh, working, uh, doing characters from oral histories. I interview people, and if you know, I talk to people. I meet somebody, and I, you know, a restaurant or a party, and then I hear a conversation, and then I, I you know, so there's something that that catches my ear. I usually go and say, "Hey, would you mind telling me more about you know what would you what I would just overhear, no?" And then, and usually that's how I develop relationships with people. And there's something about the the magic of, of a tape recorder. Well, back in the days, you know, cassettes, uh, and uh, or a camera. You know, people kind of like, "Oh, wow," you know, I must be important. And 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 the thing is that one of the things that, that I've learned is that our stories are important. You know, is that when people when we tell you use use the word history, we tend to think of of you know white men in tights. That that's history, you know, and it is. But we're history, you know. And I was, uh, I've always worked with teenagers, no? And I said, look, you guys, you know, you must document whatever it is that you do with your life. 50 years from now, 75 years from now, people are going to come coming around and going to be asking, what were these people doing at that time? You know, what was going on? I said, and, 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 and you know, and I always tell people, you know, what is it that you, that you are going to leave, you know, as, as a reference, no? As a... As a as proof of your existence and 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 what you and how 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 you use your life, your gifts, you know, your 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 intelligence, you no, know, your your sophistication, your, your education, your you know, and that goes for everybody, you know, and uh, you know, because I think every story has to be treated with a sense of dignity, you know, so. I mean, for me, it has been a learning process because we're working. I'm, I've never worked in a documentary. And we were in the middle of doing this. And then Ellie is, is doing her thing. And I really, at the beginning, I didn't have any idea that she was making a film. I thought she was just shooting stuff for the hell of shooting. I, I really wasn't quite sure. And then, then the pandemic came. And uh, and Ellie had already shot a lot of her her you know footage that, that she needed to tell the story, and we had to put ours on hold. So now, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that it happened that way because I got to watch Ellie working, and and, and it's her for me as an actor, as a writer, you know. Um, to look at film in a completely different way, and to take the the you know the the leap, no, 
and say, uh, let me see if I can do this too, you know, with, with the team, no? And I have, we have a very good team, Ellis is part of the team. Um, but, you know, I've learned a lot about, uh, you know, how, how, do you, how do you stitch stories together, you know, one by one? And then, you know, how do, how do you create also, and there, there was a teacher of mine that used to say, okay, if, if you have five minutes on stage to say to the world what you think and feel, what would that be? And then he, uh, he well, that was mine. He, but he would say, what would that be? And the two things that he added was, what would it look like? And what would it sound like? And that's what's, those are my guiding principles at the moment. You know, <laughs> what, what is it going to look like? You know, what is it going to be? If you have five minutes on stage to tell the world what you feel and think about with the life that you're living right now, what would that be? What would it look like? And what would it sound like? And that's kind of my credo at the moment. <laughs> Right. Ellie, um, is this, um, how many projects do you have going on right now? Are you focusing on um, getting this film out and, you know, into just different audiences? Uh, I'm assuming, um, especially universities, you know, how this uh, could be just a wonderful um, opportunity for students to engage and to learn um, you know, if you're Latino, our histories, but also if you're not Latino about this particular um, community and make connections with, um, you know, with other groups uh, that have, um, you know, similar experiences in the past and now. So what are, what are your plans? Yeah, thanks for that question. You know, I've definitely, you know, been swimming in just the logistics of creating this tour so that this film can be seen because mm -hmm. you know you you pour as Kike shared you know you pour so much years into the creation of a film especially a documentary because you're capturing things in real time and you can't script that so um there's a lot that goes into stitching those pieces together and and yet you know even though like creatively, sometimes there's a part of me that's like, okay, let me go work on another film now. You know, I want to <laughs> move on. But then I feel like that wouldn't do, you know, the film isn't a film until it's seen. And, you know, as, as soon as we started sharing the film, it became so apparent that this was really hitting, um, hitting a nerve for folks. And, and it was opening a lot. And, you know, the spaces that we've been creating, um, you know, and yet the, the questions that young people have been asking um, have been really blowing, blowing us all away. You know, we just did a screening at University of Maryland and um, there were students kind of lined up in the aisles. And, you know, this mm -hmm. is exam time. You know, students are, are studying. This is crunch time. And yet it was packed. Students were in the aisles asking Kike and Sammy and Pepe questions and, you know, things from, you know, what um, what would you 
and you know what would be something that you would encourage us to do like how do you how do you encourage us to still have hope um there were salvadoran students who were connecting it to their history there were black students who were connecting it to their history there were white i mean it was really like there was a lot of connections and a lot of you know spaces of like you know, for lack of a better word, like healing, you know, as well, you know, um, and I think, you know, by, by witnessing that as a filmmaker, um, it kind of gives me the energy to continue the work and it's hard work to continue to push it out so that, you know, we are continuing to screen it and it stays alive. Um, so we are, we are sharing it at colleges, but we're also writing grants so that um, we can continue to share it in spaces that don't have funding, but who right. still like really deserve to see this film and engage with it. Um, so we're, yeah, we're trying to just, you know, spend the next year, um, kind of continuing to have these kinds of conversations with folks. Yeah. And I think Kike and Sammy and Lilo, I think we're also doing workshops. So it's watch the film, talk about it, and then like create something. Like it's your exactly. turn to share your story. Cause as Kike just said, you know, it's like, that's really the message. It's like your story really matters. Right. Well, Kike and Ellie, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, congratulations in the, uh, on this work. And I plan to use the film in, in my classes for sure. Um, and um, yeah, and anybody listening, um, I will put down um, some more information, but quickly they can find uh, uh, the website, lamampleza.com, correct? lamampleza.film.com. Um, film, okay, and, um, and there is a place there where you can um, fill out contact, you know, questions that you might have, or if you want to, if you want to use this film, um, you can reach out and, and support, support them. Uh, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, a todos, gracias por escucharnos. Uh, recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Thank you.